Greetings, greetings, greetings. Thank you for listening and joining us for another KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc podcast. Fellas, how are you? We healthy. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing all right. Everything's good? Find out later on this week. All righty. I'll be going for my health checkup when we get back from Indy uh, with a week to the day. So, Doc, that leaves you. How's everything in the, the Cavill land? Pretty much everything is well. My heart is still a little heavy after the news of Trey Walker passing. Yeah, yes, yes. Let's touch on that real quick. We mentioned him on some of our podcasts previously. Certainly, podcasts. I had a chance to interview him uh, just on a bigger picture. You all know that I'm a professor of sport management, so I actually had an opportunity to lecture him. I didn't have him for one, uh, maybe two classes, but I remember one course for sure. And um, he was very good in the classroom, quiet, started to voice himself a little more at the end of the class as he got more comfortable and saw that I pushed him in that direction. But he was always um, a person that was open to information. He, You could tell he knew where he came from. He was proud about what he accomplished. You could tell in a lot of ways he knew he was blessed. And he knew he had goals and dreams, and he was pushing towards those dreams. But he was always open, didn't act as if he was more important to other individuals or, as some coaches will talk about in terms of entitlement, he certainly wasn't one that was entitled, even though I disagree with a lot of coaching. That will be another opportunity for me to talk about a coach that used that frame. But more than anything, I just think in a lot of ways it's tragic. Uh, because he uh, touched let, so many individuals. Let folks know what happened, as uh, far he, as you he, know. Uh, yeah, from the reports and uh, direct people that I've talked to that have uh, talked to the family, obviously, was the fact that he was uh, riding um, these dirt bikes. And I'd like to try to describe them because people will have different pictures that comes to their heads in these dirt bikes. Uh, I've least experienced lately in the uh, urban community, there's um, these little dirt bikes. They almost look like little motorcycles, and you've seen some that range that are a little bigger that you would see traditionally young kids ride. But but, um, they're for entertainment. Obviously, you could see where they could be dangerous. Um, But I've even seen an incident right here, oddly enough, uh, coming out of the office uh, last fall where a young man was riding a dirt bike through campus. Uh, he was on the back of the bike. Obviously, somebody lost control. He fell off and went tumbling and uh, abrasively uh, skinned himself. So they were giving him essentially what you have is those burns. So I've seen that there. But in this particular incident, it's my understanding that he was riding one of those um, dirt bikes, motorcycles, whatever you call it, small or whatever, uh, did not have a helmet. My understanding in the state of Florida, you're not required to have a helmet, uh, unlike Texas here. And um, it was at night, and not only was it at night, he was wearing dark-complected clothes. So visibility was not uh, apparently there. He was literally back in the neighborhood, um, as that's the type of person he was. He was right around here watching some basketball games a couple of weeks ago as he was training and working with some other Texas Southern uh, college athletes that have since graduated and have played to some degree in the league and looking to get back into the league. He was working out with them, trying to help them 
as he was working on himself. And um, again, three, four blocks from Northwestern, the high school that many people are aware of in that area. Uh, he, to some degree, either got clipped, hit, whatever. And the thing that was so dangerous in the incident was the fact that he had a head injury. And the head injury was very serious. And that's what put him in critical condition, and that's what he was not able to regain uh, consciousness and ultimately died Friday. The incident happened Thursday night. He died Friday. Uh, it came out around 5 o'clock when they pronounced him dead. So I'm sure they're going to do something at Texas Southern University. I already have them on the front page of Texas Southern University uh, talking about condolences. A lot of his, he was really friendly with a lot of his players. So a lot of his players are trying to get down there to make this just much more powerful. Um, was the fact that he was really good friends with the quarterback Jamal Smalls that lost his life, and that one was to violence in the urban community. The gunfire out of New Jersey um, seems like a couple of months ago, and that hit him pretty hard. He had. After he had got drafted, right before he drafted, he had lost his father. Uh, he hadn't seen his mother since six and things of that nature. So this is a guy that wasn't necessarily given all the chips that many of us ask for in life or don't ask for, I guess, for those matter of facts. But he made the best of it, and he knew it. He knew his gifts were not something that he just uh, happened to have, but in a lot of ways they were gifts from God, a higher being, as he would say it, and he tried to actualize it. And to his credit, he did, coming out of uh, a not-as-branded university in terms of Texas Southern University, and he made his dreams come true. And he was working in at that and trying to become, uh, you know, a starter in terms of uh, looking forward to next season, and it will be off uh, for not at this point in terms of at least what he can do on the football seat field, but I think he's left a lot of lasting memories for individuals, hopefully to find a way to try to carry on his legacy. And uh, I just want to add uh, TSU's website. Uh, one of them is TSUball.com. I think they have another one, yeah, too. Yes, the athletic, and then just your traditional TSU.edu. Um, has a, a uh, picture image of uh, Trey Walker in uniform, and uh, I think it is him headed toward the the stairway to heaven. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah. Stairway to heaven. And I yes, yeah, the image you see also put it, put that on in, uh, the, in the community. My Houston Round Bar review. Yeah, uh, I think that was a, a great image Instagram that you account. see there. Also, seen some videos coming up to tell you how he touched people. Uh, obviously, when you start seeing dedication <laughs> videos, I've seen. Uh, at least three um, on uh, YouTube um, that just has pictures and collages of his teens and things of that nature with different musical renditions to salute him and say goodbye. A lot of things have uh, opened up on Facebook, Twitter to some degree, uh, Instagram where he had account just uh, passing on their uh, condolences, RIP. Obviously you have the his Northwestern High School family, Miami and Florida people around that area. You have Texas Southern, uh, which branches out to the SWAC family and a lot of grief to the HBCU family. So you see that 
And I think he was bigger than that. Uh, his uh, NFL family, Baltimore, a lot of those folks are uh, just acknowledging his presence, which I think says a lot for an individual. If you can get the world to stop for even a moment, you've made a difference. And he surely did that. And um, we're going to talk on a happier note now, less somber. You touched on it briefly about entitlement. Go ahead and get into it. Let, uh, it definitely will be less wait, somber. Wait, I don't know wait, about wait, happy. Wave the flag. Let's get it started on how we do it on these KG. You got enough? You got to throw soft Yeah, you see, I just had to do that. Okay, I'm asking now. I'm asking because I want you to get no dry throat and be looking for the, be looking for the water like somebody else has done. I see. I received an email from Chris uh, as often as I do, keeping me up with information, and he has a whole different list of emails and websites that he reviews and has different contexts. So we all live in our lane, and oftentimes they cross. But uh, what is fascinating is when I got my hands on this article. Let me give you the title: SMU coach Rhonda. Rompola uh-huh. says athlete entitlement a factor in her retirement. This is just recently, February 25th, 2016. And so the entitlement kind of struck me, and I was like, mm, interesting. So I figured let me at least read it and give it an opportunity. But one of the first things that stood out to me, it is intriguing that somebody could say something about entitlement. And everybody knows in the U.S. your retirement age is 65. And most people are not in a position that they can retire before 65. A lot of us will try to plan it, and hopefully we'll get there. Um, but I thought it was intriguing when you look at the first paragraph, and it says, SU women's basketball coach Rhonda Rampola has said her decision to retire at the age of 55 is driven by a desire to spend more time with her husband. I think that's great. Family things. We'll talk about this on baseball. A lot of issues going out there. But I think anytime that you have the ability to spend more time with your family, that's great. But to be able to walk away from a job, that is not something that most individuals in this country or in the world, for that matter, have a choice. So the fact that you have that choice, to me, tells me that you're privileged, that you have that opportunity. I'm not going to get into whether you dictated that privilege or it was thrown uh, on you. But the fact that you retired 10 years early says something loud to me. The fact that you said that you're going to play golf, another game of privilege in a lot of ways because of the cost factors tells me a lot about your statement. So why is it necessary for you to attack a group on your way out the door? And when I talk about this group, I am talking about college athletes. And then as she went through this and talked about the fact that kids are not as coachable as they were years ago. I think a lot of that is the fact that kids understand that they have choices more than ever. And I think that's a good thing. People like to pick on kids and think that we should just be able to tell kids uh, everything that we want to and, and just put them in places uh, that they shouldn't be. Essentially... I believe that younger athletes, that could be at the scholastic level or at the collegiate level, as well as their parents, friends, and representatives are understanding their power they have and now in direct opposition to the exploitation nature of the NCA more than anything. Very few 
certainly for us that have now become more educational about the exploitive nature of the NCA and the obsessive control demanded by its member coaches, I must say, uh, is in a lot of ways like guided by these child labor practices outside of this country, in foreign countries. We wouldn't even let it. We've legislated that out outside of the NCA where we think it's good for some reason. Or worse, you know, it gets into these this framework of this country's indentured colonization governance policies that allow you to colonize the weak and just take advantage of them. That's what I see in a lot of this. And that's what frustrated me when I first read this article is the fact that why does she attack this group? What is it not about her? What does it say about her? Now, she just got thumped in the tournament prior to this. And so that tells you a lot that she hasn't been able to do it on her own uh, as UConn just trumped them out of the tournament like they guess they do with everybody. But she was 12 and 15, 79 this year. She has 438 wins, 315 records, nine 20 win seasons, and seven NCAA tournament berths during her 25 year career. But she's made a lot of money than most people. Not necessarily being great at a craft, but she wants to dump on the kids. She talks about the fact that kids now have the cost of attendance and their scholarships and they're shopping their scholarships. And I'm like, isn't that what an intelligent person will do in terms of looking what their options are? Why do you want to take that away from a group of people? And she goes on to quote, and then I think it was interesting that she wanted to make it clear that she was not talking about her own kids, which was strange to me, because that's who you work with, your own kids. But she said these other kids. You don't work with the other kids, so how do you even know them? That makes no sense to me. So that's why I say in a lot of ways you can tell this is really about nothing, an individual that is lost in her own world that is changing so fast that she probably does need to retire, not because as she is quoted as saying that children are entitled, but she's an individual of entitlement. And, and when you often are a person of entitlement, you don't even realize it. Wildcat, thoughts on that? As uh, the, of the three of us, you've known Coach Rompola the longest. Yep. So uh, thoughts? Two things. One, it's not the first time she's made this statement. You and I were at the last media day. Uh, that the subject came up. She said on the during the panel discussion. On the panel discussion. I mean, it, as a as a conference, it came across every coach that was there had a comment about that. Uh, that a sense of entitlement is starting to arise uh, more so with more voice. Which makes sense. Perfect uh, sense. Coaches want this control. Year. But the first time KJ and I w- were brought to the attention of it was in year 2000 when Coach McKinney came to the radio station and did an interview uh, did on air with you and I and she mentioned about all of uh, in, the, in the process that the women were starting the summer leagues on the women, on the girl side was starting to change and entitlement was starting to make inroads during that time so here we are 15 16 years down in, the road in your mind because we as a professor, I love when people just throw out words. How do you define entitlement? To me, uh, entitlement is a program or 
a uh, process that allows for an individual or a group to be encompassed to a certain either lifestyle or work or work group fragment. So do you think coaches are entitled? To a certain extent, yeah. To me, it's uh, people who think they deserve something for nothing. That's my that's my point. That's that's how I see it. So, in terms of, and I really wanted I'm gonna pull this out of you, Wildcat. So uh, because you coached in the AAU in the summer, the grassroots circuit. Yeah, that's so, what they refer to it now. Yes, grassroots circuit rather than AAU. Uh huh. Exactly. It's, it's um, that's, that's exactly. I know what they call it. Yeah, this is playing words. Is I do believe that uh, kids. I think the choice of words is wrong. I do think more and more kids now are more difficult to coach. I don't believe that's entitlement. I I think that is uh, kids are hard-headed. Now that, I believe that. I, I see that too much as a referee. I, I think the world has changed the mind. I see that, and this is why it's intriguing to me, because I see this going to education as well. I see a lot of teachers that come out uh, K through 12 and they say the same thing oftentimes. Then I see it at the college level that, they, that you have professors in terms of their lectures say this. And it's always intriguing to me because in my classroom, I don't really get that. I see some folks that are more serious about their craft and what they're trying to do and are more appreciative of what's going on. But I think in a lot of ways people forget that life is about relationships. And there's a reason why certain coaches are able to uh, get kids to develop relationships in such a way that they trust them and buy in. There's a reason that kids don't trust coaches. That didn't just happen. And it's, it's and, not and just coach, adults. It, it, true. That it just happened in a vacuum. So as I talk about this entitlement and the importance of looking at words and how people use them and attach them, to individuals or groups, I think it is extremely important. And that's why I couldn't just let this skate uh, in regards to just it being just another coach saying something that these, these folks. And I even challenged myself because I would admit to you at one time I thought like this until I dug a little deeper and said, why am I saying this? Why am I utilizing this? What What is this right? Do I really believe what I'm saying or is this just something that everybody says and now we get into it? And why don't I say this? When I have great lectures and great classes, many times my great lectures is because I come in more prepared than other times. Something interesting hits me and I'm able to weave it in the class even more and get uh, students' attention. And they are able to have more comments that I really like to drive my class. And I can tell when I intrigue them a little more that they go and study. When I develop a relationship and I tell them and show them that I care, they tend to come back and want to do more for themselves and me. And, And so... That translates again into coaching. When you have coaches that are able to develop relationships, and if you think about it, most coaches will tell you that. Uh, You've heard this all week with some coaches talking about the fact that they love the relationships they have with this team and they just don't want this to be over with. Or for those that are crushed when it comes over because they've had this great relationship with this team, this human interaction that all of us seek, at least most of us seek at some point over our lives. 
is the fact that that's what takes is taking place here. And I think sometimes we can get so caught up in the mass terminology about this kids, and we always have this fascination that our life and our previous generation did it better. True. Uh, versus that and we forget that times change and let's move with the changes and talk about this romanticism that you hear that play the game the right way those are cold words for people talking the past you know cold words and talking about uh, let's take America back those are cold words for people talking about sex and while I believe America is a great place in a lot of ways for you to suggest to me that everything that took place in the past for America was great is a spit in my face. So I won't allow you to say that without challenging you and make sure I'm very clear on what you're trying to say. And I feel the same way about this coach. You need me to be very clear. And as a coach that teaches people, you need to make sure that the words that you use and choose to explain what you're saying are very clear. And from my viewpoint, she didn't do that. And so, no, I cannot allow this go as if, a great coach or good coaches, you all that have had relationship where they can get away with just saying stuff and throwing what I see as the next generation under the bus because she can't really relate to them. And and let me just add some more uh, to this. I think it's a cop out from her for not being able to get better players to compete against the uh, UConn talent in the American the American Athletic Conference. There you go. She's not alone in this mentality, though. We've heard other coaches say yep. at that same media day, the reason they stopped emphasizing recruiting American players there you go. is because the American players are entitled. We've heard coaches say that. That um, the it's now coded as the international players are more fundamentally sound. That's how they. That's that's how they and say they it now. Approach the game differently than the way kids are brought up here. Now, and that's a, almost an exact quote, right? From, and I'm from, glad you're bringing those up. Because, and those are words that I'm sure our listeners have heard before. But I'm saying, challenge yourself and say, why do people deconstruct words and again attach that label to individuals? What are they trying to do? In a lot of ways, again, you got to look. Who is this coming from? Coaches, and I'm not saying that all coaches have bad intentions, but we do know that coaches love control. The part about controlling people is to be able to allow other folks to think that you need to be in control of them because they cannot control themselves. And this this is my next point. We just had a coach today, Lord, a kid, Villanova kid, where he said the kid grew up in the same neighborhood he grew up in. And he talked about that he doesn't have to coach that kid because that kid knows they know each other in such a way that he knows exactly what that kid is going to do on the coach. You have other over different years, you've had coaches talk about that, uh, about having that uniqueness with a player. Again, that's relationship. And I'm sure he had to develop that relationship. There were some nice cultural frameworks that allowed it probably to develop faster. Because they happen to be from the same neighborhood. They see work, the world in a lot of ways from the same I, uh, uh, mentality, if you would allow me. But that's where I think as adults we needed to challenge ourselves and be better. And that's why in so many ways our kids are challenging us. Because we're not reaching them. You can't just talk at somebody and think they owe you to listen to them. See, that's my next point. I want to throw... A 
large umbrella of the grassroots AU adults under the bus for quit living creating creating this uh, atmosphere of expecting a handout from a coach university. You, what you gonna do for me to get my kid to come play for you? Right, and I do agree with that. But the way I would challenge that is. They're not. They're only a reflection of what they see in society. Thank That's you. what the NCA is doing with the coaches. So how can you get mad at a group that is actually copying and mimicking what they see you are doing? Because they they're s- just doing it at exactly a, because they age. they've seen that done by and be successful by somebody else. That's right. So they're saying, well, it worked for so and so. I'm gonna try it. I'm trying for me. And try not only me. that, they see it working yeah. for the NCA. Okay. The NCA limits what. Students can do and where can they go and how they can transfer. They have rules. They set up a organization now that is very flushed and good about control and financially do not give anything if we are honest with this to kids. So the fact that you have this subversive group as they want to call it doing the same thing to me is laughable. But so I, I'm gonna put the blame on all of them. I'm not going to try to say, all right, you worse than it. No, both of y'all are evil. Now, I'm going to evil evil. add this to it. Yes, sir. Because when that question is asked to me, and it's been asked a couple of times in my lifetime. What question? About, you know, what are you going to do for me, for my, my kid okay. to come play for you? Two coaches I, I grew up with. Let me, with, let with, me ask mine. you this. What is wrong with that question? Okay, I'm, I'm, I'm nothing wrong with the question because you can always <laughs> ask the question. It's just how you get an answer and whether you're capable of accepting an answer. Uh, what I just how I've, I've mentally handled it before, and how I will always mentally handle it moving forward. If you asking me that question, that means you've gotten some information from somebody else. Now I'm gonna ask you, since you're a parent and you know your child, or say you do, is your kid capable of producing on the floor or on the field the way that kid? particular kid that you got this information from now and if you can't answer that question I'm going to say well then this conversation is over right? because you have no bargaining power all you can do is ask me the question <laughs> and, I, and as a coach right. I'm, I'm going to tell you I, I, point blank you I have no you, bargaining power I think you provided a great illustration I thank you for that because if that same parent is doing it for a university we would actually be upset if the parent didn't ask that question we and actually you, tell and you got your high right. schools parents when you go to university, ask these particular questions. Exactly. What are you planning to do with my son or my daughter? What are your goals for my son? What? How are you going to play him? What <laughs> classes are he is he going to be allowed to take? And again, I'm saying his is the pejorative, but I'm talking right. about his, him or her. Now, right? I, what majors are we allowed? What is the graduation of students? I'm glad you in. brought that up. What, not only what is the graduation rate, what is the career assistant rate in terms of them getting out? How many of your students come back here and work here? What do they look like? And what positions do they have? How many head coaches that look like my son have been here before? How many assistants? How many have been in the athletic director office, compliance Who, office, those, in the academic office? Those questions are not asked anymore. Right, but I'm saying those are the questions you should ask. Yes, they should be but asked, I'm those saying they have to start somewhere. Agreed. But I will say this, though, Doc. When, when I used to conduct a seminar, I would always emphasize that when you go on a visit, 
don't talk to the stars. Don't talk to the folks that got on the floor that you see on the, on the TV all the time. You know who you need to be talking to? That kid that's sitting at the end of the bench. Them last three right. that just barely making a road right. trip. Right. But why did you say that? Because those three kids will have a totally different insight on what's going on on campus. Right. Because you're trying to look at what is the quality of a lifestyle of a person who doesn't mo- happen to be a star. Because there's no guarantee that when you go to an institution that you're going to be a star. And I think that's a great question to ask. But I'm saying we cannot assume that all individuals know what questions to ask. Which is my point that I'm making. Is that the NCA as a structural organization understands that everybody doesn't know. These coaches in many ways understand that everybody doesn't know. So when they're doing the same thing, I don't accept the answer that you don't like the fact that somebody else is trying to do what you're doing. I don't accept the answer that they don't want to do what I say. I don't accept that because we know there's a lot of coaches that are not doing everything the right way. Oh no, it just hadn't been put in a. It hadn't been put to the light yet. And the one thing that I've always mentioned also, when you walk onto a college campus, the first building that you get introduced to is usually where they put their money at. And, and I, I bet I, you in most cases it's not the library. I know. I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> at, at several schools in this country, <coughs> at one point, I know that was a selling point on campus. That's where they influx the money at. And that yeah, was the I, first. That was the first building that you basically saw when you walked on or when they when they when the Coaching staff took you around on campus. It was the largest building. Now, exactly right. The, the other thing is about that: if you if you're halfway through an interview, a campus tour, and you still hadn't gone to the library, and I got this from a mom, and she basically said, point blank, when I asked the question about the library, coach, coach didn't even know where. It no, was. no, no. That wasn't the answer that she, he gave. He they in the car now. He basically gave. Oh, he won't need that. We got we got an information center over here in, in the in the dorm, and the mom said, "I tell you what, you dad right is in the front did. seat. <laughs> Kid is over to her left, sitting behind the, the coach." Yeah, this old. Uh, yeah, we we headed back to the house. We we can leave. We can leave now. Now, trust me, they went they went in position to yeah, they you know they, they just they had the, options. They, they, they had, had options. options, but and but, they but, were but educated now, from a framework. And when I say educated, I'm not talking now, about a degree of attainment. Now, they were educated because they had experiences that told them something was wrong. The, the other thing about what you you mentioned, Doc, about being enlightened, also it has to do, and I found this out at, at, at the very first summer I was in a, an in charge person where it was. My head was on the chopping block as far as getting information out and, and making sure it was the correct information. I got you. It's a different conversation when you're talking to two parents went to college, one parent went to college, or nobody in the family went to college. Yeah. Before that kid had an opportunity to, especially when they're going at somebody else's expense. Let's break that down so people don't. Uh, yeah, let, let, let's go ahead. I, I want to break that down from the framework. I want to make sure that we're clear that we're not saying that there's that much difference in terms of educational attainment. We're specifically looking at the fact that oftentimes education provides you with opportunities, you life lessons, options. is what we're talking about. Options. Which means once you go through those life lessons, you have those options and you become more well read, uh, more versed in different 
frameworks of life, which means you tend to make better decisions. And that's why we are key about talking about those different layers of education because they're key in terms of your experiences. And again, I'll hone in on this. Your experiences dictate oftentimes what do you do in life. And so I will not keep quiet when I see egregious occurrences taking place in such a way that I don't speak on it. And I just, this article, again, just jumped out to me and I thought I have to discuss this on the podcast to provide a bigger picture so people hopefully stop repeating this term in terms of athlete entitlement as a code word to saying that you want control. Just tell them I want control because I needed to get my job done. Well, and I will say I am one of those uh, I still am one of those coaches that, that mentioned about uh, that will often mention time clock. Uh, use that as a reference point. It's, and that's only because the era of coaching and playing that I grew up in, and that had I, I've adapted to my environment, but as an overall, when I'm talking to 12, I will mention that. But I will tell you one thing, though. When you get out on the floor, it's up to you to make the decision whether you want to stay out there. When you get out on the football field, it's <laughs> like up to you as an individual yeah, how, you, how you how you want to if you want to stay out there. Yeah. Now, mind you, there are some coaches that keep a a, a clock on everybody. Mm. I've watched teams make it to the final four, and 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 nobody on the team averaged more than fifteen minutes a game, eighteen minutes a game, twenty, and that's what the guys started. They just ran a rotation, right? And folks don't get it. Here's go ahead. Here's the quote, the last uh, quote in the paragraph from Coach Ron Polo. I think this says it all. Quote, maybe I'm old school. It's not necessarily what I signed up for, and I'm not going to adjust my coaching to the way kids are these days. That's how it is these days. Coaches having to adjust to kids rather than kids having to adjust to coaches. End quote. Now, that's a burnout. That's a burnout. Yeah, it's control. That, that, that's control. Well, that's a burnout. It. To me, that's, that's a, a perfect that, as, as a coach. That's a burnout. That's what that is. That's, it's, it's, that's tired of beating your head up against the wall. That's a burnout. That's a cop out. Uh, and she, it's a burnout to the point to where she's tired. She has in her mind. She's convinced that she doesn't. She doesn't want to adjust to kids. Right. And, and the other and, thing, and anybody, and any person in business will say that no wonder you're not winning. This? No wonder you're not successful, because any business will tell you the first definition of business. You better be you... able to adapt. Thank you. There we go. So that is our version of the discussion of the tournaments that are going on, because we can talk about upsets and stuff like that on the men's side and women's side. But, gentlemen, I have something that's in my crawl. Really? It's been in there for today? a couple of years now. Really? Um, what you got in your crawl today? What What network broadcasts in touts? And is proud of its coverage of the women's NCAA tournament. ESPN. ESPN. Four well, letters. They say they're the worldwide leader. Worldwide leader. Four letters. Four. Okay. How many networks does ESPN have uh, under their umbrella? At least six. Because you got yeah, your three. Yeah, they have six, you, you, but you, you, they you, have you, at you, least four that over there. No, but I'm talking ESPN, about ESPN, ESPN, ESPN two. Okay. ESPN U. 
uh, ESPN Classic. Three. Well, three is a streaming version. So it's not one that you can turn on your TV. I'm just talking about the ones you have. Yeah, TV TV wise. Okay. So you have at least four. Okay. Did you you say ESPN News? Five. Okay. Go ahead. You said five. Yeah, at least. How many of those five are broadcasting the Women's NCAA Tournament? I don't remember. I'm getting getting, one. One. I remember getting all my stuff from from my computer. I'm I'm going to be honest with you now. Okay. That's how I'm keeping it up. One. Out of five. And you got excess now. You got, you Yet got you are you are going to say we are the worldwide leader and we are proud of showcasing all 63 games of the women's NCAA tournament. So, actually, they're actually showing more of the men's NIT. No. Yes. They're showing more of anything stations. else. That's too. That's, that too. that's where I'm getting at. And they are. Friday and Saturday, NCAA I know Saturday for sure, the men's NIT was on ESPN. While the – yeah. It's ESPN two showcased the, women. the NCAA women's tournament. Wow! Today, now ESPNU, I just saw thirty for thirty. Yep, on ESPNU. Yep, not the women's tournament. Right. ESPN showed tennis, not the NCAA tournament. Like I say, anything else but. That's what I'm seeing. So, all the games are being showcased. They're on ESPN three. You want to watch something else out of market? You got to go online to watch them. So this this it is worse now, and apparently I I didn't know this because you know I don't I've been spending more time watching the fellas because I have more channels to watch the games right. for the guys. Yeah, but one of my my friends slash colleagues noted that there aren't even announcers at some of these games, and that's true. And you and I so have they're w- broadcasting w- them from uh, the studio the studio in Connecticut. <laughs> and, and you and I have witnessed quite a few, even on the men's side. So, but see, that's something that's, different. That's, that's the during the season. season. This is tournament time. We're talking about tournament. Tournament time, they are not at these games. So, if you're watching the women's tournament game and you don't see announcers at the games coming out of timeouts, you know, instead of coming out of breaks, chances are they aren't there. They are doing, they're broadcasting the games from the studio. From the studio. Wow. So, and yet... They are proud of saying we are the worldwide leader in the home of the women, the NCAA women's tournament. Now, when it comes to women's sport, and one of my, I won't, won't name his name. One of my buddies in coaching. Yeah, because you and I know a he, lot. He, you and I he know doesn't. He doesn't. He took it. Looks at it from this perspective. And let me just read a little comment from him to to get where he's where he's uh, his point that he's trying to make. Is um, would ratings for Ohio State, uh, Florida NIT game, men's game, be higher than a first round women's basketball game for ESPN? Probably. So his point is, if the fans of women's basketball do not complain, watch, support women's basketball, then what incentive does ESPN have? to air those games on their other networks. Right. And if ESPN is looking at this just as a business, then I would say he's correct. But you can't be the worldwide leader just like and that's my re- thing. And that's my that, that was my response to him. They, if, you, they, you if, know, if you're showing everything else but what you're supposed to be at that time, that's supposed to be what you're, you're promoting and what you're supposed to be showing on a regular basis – 
and what you have perverted out there that this is where you come to get your games. You you stress that be sure to watch our selection uh, uh, show, Mm -hmm. and you spent what hour and a half, two hours, maybe for for the selection for the women's show. Yeah, they had the first hour was on ESPN, and that second two second hour was on ESPNU. Maybe I'm ESPNU or ESPN two. A combination of two hours. But you spent the first Hell, time. it wasn't on ESPN. The first I was on ESPN, too, because the men's tournament selection may, may have been on ESPN. I, you know, whatever. But they do it different days. Yeah, because the selection announcement for the women is on Selection Monday for men's selection Sunday. That's right. So I do not believe Selection Monday announcement was on ESPN, though, because I think ESPN I think was Monday talking was discussing the, the men's NIT games. Well, I think on Monday ESPN has pickle. the uh, NBA. So it's still... It gets it's, back to a couple of points. Yeah. And it looks worse now in in 2016, 2015, when you compare it to Turner, who is showing all the men's games. It wasn't that long ago when CBS, five, ten years ago, and NBC. was in the same same boat. They yeah. only showed one game of the men's tournament, and they give you live look-ins on CBS. You, right. you got one game, you know, it was regionalized. Right. But now, in the last four years... It's Turner all over the place. is showing every game of the men's tournament on one of their networks. CBS, TBS, True TV, I think even TNT. ESPN has, we, we said, they got five channels. <laughs> and didn't they just redo and, the contract? And during, same, yeah, they did. And during the season, ESPN News showed men's games on its channel. On ESPN News. So we know they have the ability and the capability to show basketball games, sporting events on ESPN News. It's very true. So. Go ahead. The point is, you know, a couple ways. Because my comments to my coaching friend was how, you know, ESPN can't say on one side they're trying to grow the game, yet they only have. They don't, don't show the games on ESPN. And now, let me say, the, the evening session, Sunday's evening session of the round, two-second round, I think some of the games are on ESPN. Okay. But first-round games Friday, first-round games Saturday, were on ESPN, too. Only. One channel. Only. So if there were some games, nip-and-tuck games going on, either I went online well, I had to hope that they would give me a, a live look-in of that dip and tuck game. So, that's problem. I've had a problem with the ESPN doing that. And like I said, to see NIT games, men's NIT games on ESPN, rather than the women's NCAA tournament, bothers me. Second-class citizen. So, that is part of it. But the overall truth still remains as well. Women's college basketball fans are not fans of women's college basketball. They are fans of a specific team. Mm. Men's college basketball fans, especially come tournament time, they want to see, they don't really care. They want to see huh. exciting games, whoever's playing. They want, they, they want close games, buzzer beaters, that's what they want to see. Don't care. They, they want to watch I it out. I, Joe, I Joe think fan. That is, uh, and I'll put it out there, because I know some of my colleagues listen as well. I think this would be an excellent study to actually try to see the difference between uh, women uh, in terms of fans of the women's game versus 
uh, fans of the men's game because I'd be intrigued to actually wonder how many guys are actually fans, as you said, of the men's game or are they fans of the entertainment, the fact that they get to go hang out with their friends at a bar. That's and take a half and a that's day it, and just and get away from it. And, and even if that – If there's some games that right. have to be close, they're good about it. But, but they won't – they don't do that. You can say whatever. Men or women don't have party – watch parties for, for women's terms. Right, and that's what I'm saying. And in a lot of ways, to me, this is also a reflection of how you feel about women in our country. Because there were some upsets, I think, on the women's side. All – depends if you want to call this an upset, but all four number nine seeds – Beat the number eight seed that's in the first saying. round, so that's yeah, an upset. It's not, it's, you know, it's not a, huge had, upset, it's not it's a big upset. upset, but it's an upset. Yes, we had, uh, I think, two twelve seeds beat five seeds that's on big. women's side. Now that's big on, on okay. the women's side. That's huge. That's huge. So that's that's if you're gonna count the nine, that's six upsets. Whereas the national discussion is there are no upsets in women's college basketball. It's all it the favorites happen. win. We got proof right here that, that, that it happens, wow. but you don't see it. Because you only got one channel to watch women's tournament. So, but fans of supporters and health coaches and administrators and need to discuss it. Uh, head coach of Robert Morris, the end of his postgame press conference yesterday, you know, naturally, Robert Morris played UConn in the first round. We know the result. They got blasted. The final score was 101-49. The yeah. score after the first quarter was 41-4. to four. Yeah. But at the very end of his press conference, the coach said to the writers, go to your editors and let the editors know you want to cover women's college basketball, women's sports. They deserve it. They deserve the attention. They deserve the recognition, et cetera. That's great. But, but you and I both know. Reality is. There you go. The editors going to look at the bottom line. I'm not going to send you to go cover this sport. How many readers? If, exactly. If my readers don't care to see it. How many which readers? Which goes back to fans and support. I'll say right here on these on, on this podcast, I'll scale back on especially the local coverage of uh, women's college basketball because the fans, my readers don't care like they used to care. Just, so just, just don't. And it, it goes hand in hand, the quality – of the teams right now is a little down spell. U of H and Rice. Yeah, HBU on the local market. On the local. Yeah. So that's, that's going down but as I think, well. I think but we have to be careful when we look at the quality of the teams and say that that's the reason because. Oh, no, that's not the we, reason. We've no, seen no, no, some people. I mean, I'm just saying yeah. this for a framework to, for clarity is that some will argue that the NFL is not as good as it was in the past. But. But that's they, not that's not the reason why they, that's right. Okay. That's not the reason now, why they're getting attention. Now, let, let me ask it's you. also a measure of competitiveness. And so there's a question that in terms of your competitiveness of your games, also how you brand. And I think that's one thing that coaches, athletic directors, at least at the collegiate level, have to do a better job on their side of making sure that they better do a better job of branding these games. They have to find a way of how you're going to uniquely brand these games. They have to move beyond this framework okay. that this is women's women dribbling a basketball. All three of us spent some time or another, either at Southland, Swag, and I was no, I was the only one that went to the Big 12. What was the 
consensus when you walk into the gym, you know, during a game late that later that week when the local team wasn't there. Our local team wasn't involved. Interest. There wasn't anybody there. Yeah. You and that. Saw less of an interest. Is, is, and the reason I brought that up is because there is a down load, uh, a down, uh, not so much interest. But if a, if a local team is not there or someone that's within, let's say, an hour and a half or an hour's driving distance, fans are not going to show up. But, the, Detroit, that, uh, but uh, uh, as a marketing person, my question would be is why is that? And that's what I'm saying. But I'm, that, I'm talking about late in the week. In the early in the week. It doesn't, I, ma- it, it doesn't matter when I'm, it is. The question is to me is like why? Because you can go back in history and look at there were games on the week. For example, there was a time. In our country, where African Americans couldn't play on the weekend, they played games during the week. Right, those okay. games were still sold out. So to say a day of the week drives the factor of attendance can be partially no, true. No, my but it's point not is in totality a local what team going on. not being involved as far as drawing local interest as pe- as people wanting to come out and watch the local team play. It's marketing, but now, uh, but I'm saying you, everybody keeps saying marketing. But I'm saying what you're saying has nothing to do with marketing because all you're saying is just people just coming. But you're still adding you ask your question: Why are they coming? Now they help, and what you're saying is that they're attached to the team, right? So I'm still asking the question: Where is the attachment? Where happened to the lack of attachment? What is the relationship? All you're saying is an outlier. What happens when this takes place, and what happens when this doesn't take place? The question that needs to be critically asked or analyzed in my estimation is the fact what is taking place in this environment that allows for some teams to be successful at a given time and while others are not that's the critical question and i'm saying it's not easy to answer it's not something i think that we can answer right here but i'm saying that's what you have to sit down and study and that's what you have to hire people to do i'm saying within the ncaa organization this is an organization that makes billions of dollars i talk about the fact that they need to share it i'm saying if they don't at least share it they need to do a better job of providing a platform for the women's game that they allow as one of the reasons they say they can't share the money what has become of the white paper new uh, uh, session, well, the sort of a seminar that that happened one, that was in, invoked. What was it, two or three years ago? At the, about at that, the, right? One of the basic things that came from that, and um, the older coaches echo it, and that still holds true, is the coaches need to do a better job promoting, mentioning, and marketing their own teams in the community. Coach need to. Com- to uh, get on in the community and connect with the fans, neighborhoods, media, et cetera, and sell their sell and promote their team and their program and their product. That's that hasn't changed, and that still needs to, to happen. And I believe uh, Coach Huey, Coach Finney at HBU, I think Coach Janetta Hayes Perry at TSU, mm-hmm. Coach Langley at Rice, they have done that. They're doing that to an extent. But it also still comes down to the administration. The support you get from the administration is not there. We all know Houston, Texas, is football country. Basketball is an afterthought. On the pro level, the Rockets have had more success than the Texans. 
in the last two years in the history of both franchises. That's right. Now, that's true. But, now. Over time, yes. But fans will, Texans fans, eat, breathe, sleep, die, take dumps, anything about the Texans 24-7-365 as a p- compared to and that's winning Rocket no games. fans. That's winning no exactly, games. Exactly, with putting a that's crappy product no on the field the majority of the time that they've existed. Les Alexander has probably done more in the neighborhoods and communities than Bob McNair has, probably. Yet, who was more, which team is more uh, supported? Texans than Rockets. College football. U of H. More fan, more support. And they still don't sell out like they should right. in college football, but compare that the attention they get football and to what they get to basketball, basketball night and day. Wow, that is true. TSU, oh, yeah. great point. It's Same. like the three of us who had more success recently: TSU football, TSU basketball, TSU basketball. basketball. But who, 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 uh, who has better attendance in the last few years? Football, football, especially when you add in the uh, the major game with Prairie Helps a lot. Yes. Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Same with Rice. Yeah. Yeah. It. So we know that going in, basketball coaches have to do work, have to work harder. And smarter, and still probably get less of a result that they, that they want. But they still have to put forth more of an effort because of the sport and where they live. Particularly in certain regions, you're absolutely right. So all of that, you know, is has to be said. It has to be done. You know, Wildcat focus. Just tell me this: what your videos, your interviews, what sport you got more response from? Football or basketball? <laughs> well, football. I, I mean, folks no, just... No, no question. Folks just... They just, they just travel to it. And, and the biggest one I got this year... Another example of that is we talk about the HBCU Sports site. His traffic is... And his advertising dollars generated during football season. And he can make it through the rest of the season yeah. based on what happens in football. And the, and the biggest jump that I got this year out of all of my interviews was the post game with the kid from Rice. That what gave, sport? Uh, what sport was that? Football. Okay. Gave uh, uh, kudos to, uh, to to Coach. Coach Bailiff. Coach Bailiff at the end, at, at the end of his season. and Because uh, he only had one scholarship offer. That was it. And broke down. And folks just like gravitated to it. And you can go back and forth over, the, over YouTube. Depending on what you saw and how often. It generated almost five uh, over a million a million hits, depending on 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 how it was run and what, what you saw. If you went through the whole thing, it was it was close to six six figures. But I don't want to get it lost on the listeners. Still, your focus is on ESPN as a conglomerate organization. Obviously, we're not saying that they make decisions without understanding budgets. But to go from in the past where there were several games on ESPN and ESPN two. To now just one channel when you have five, as you said, how do you grow the game? And what does that mean for your bottom line down the line? And also, I say, from this standpoint, some things are what you say as a society. Again, I ask you the question, what does it mean to how we respect women in this society? A society that we say is at the front end of recognizing gender, 
things that happened in the past, but where we want to go proceeding forward in terms of our expectation for women in this country. And I think that's a lot of the statement here is those decisions you have or make in terms of that framework go a long way. Obviously, there's some positive things that ESPN does in terms of making sure that their platform for women uh, talking about the game mm-hmm. in terms of uh, doing analysis as well as calling the game is in a great moving forward. But again, if you don't have games on, how many can you have calling the game? Now I'm going to ask you all this question. All of us, well, KJ and I both, we came from the, from the tape recorder all the way to, to every online digital piece of equipment that's out there being used. How much has that made inroads into whether folks show up in a in a seat or rather will sit in their home or at a bar and and carouse with friends rather than go and, and see watch an actual event. Because I the reason I'm asking that question is because uh one of one of our coaching friends a diehard NASCAR fan and he <laughs> texted me he's, last time he and I talked he said don't forget. You know, Daytona's coming up. And I watched. They don't be suffering from fans. Well, what, 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 which is which is true, but I think you have to also look at sports and uniqueness of the sport. I think football and uh, racing, NASCAR in a lot of ways, has a particular niche that allows people to gear up and they can plan. Their events are essentially on the weekend, one weekend uh-huh. of the year, Every so every so often, football almost every week, NASCAR every week during the season, and it may go to every like two weeks uh, from that. So you can kind of gear and plan and have this big weekend that you're looking for, or their 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 big events, their Super Bowl. Talladega, they always say, mm-hmm. is in a lot of ways their Super Bowl, or I guess that's really Daytona. But there's certain events that people gravitate that are really huge. Mm-hmm. You see that with basketball, Final Fours for the most part, they are successful. Uh, pretty much on every measure that you look at. You have some that are more successful or not. But the question starts to become when you look at how do you create environments that are successful. For example, this week here, and I talked about this, you had TSU relays, which is, for most people, measure is very successful. There's some concern a little bit this weekend with the rain. Right. But it pretty much opens up the season for most teams in the state of Texas some regionally for Louisiana to come over and some in the past that want to get to the south and run in a warmer climate. Right. But it's moved from a college, particular, a historically black college event, to now it's more of a high school event. Uh, urban city and rural uh-huh. high schools come from different cities around the country in a lot of ways. They come to an event. So it stabilized itself and it's still third largest. They, they adjusted. They adjusted. But... The next adjustment I'm talking about is, all right, now you've adjusted in terms of what your event is going to be like, who's going to participate. How do you adjust to your fans? One thing that I talked about is the fact that this is also during March Madness. It opens it up. You see this a lot of folks want to go, as we talk about, to the bars. So what if you had a concept, for at least for your adult individuals, and you catered to that event where you put up a bar-like scenery, it may not have to be bars, and 
I know some people are concerned in terms of campus drinking, but this is a campus that actually has a liquor license, so let me get that out of the way. But even if you don't have that part of it is the fact that you had a television event. How can you share and match this similar like you would have folks in a stadium where some individuals want to watch the game in a suite versus those that want to be on the court side? You have to also look at your event and structure it in such a way that you market it towards all these different groups, if you would, stratifications of groups that would want to come and watch the game. So that was another something that I put out there and said, you know, what if they had this here? I was with a group of friends, to be frank, out there, and I said, what if they had this here? Would you say that we would be more apt to be over there to be in the mix versus here? And everybody at the table said, yes, absolutely. So you miss out on dollars, and people may would even spend a little more to be able to combine the two atmospheres. But if it becomes a point where it's an option, which is leading me back to the point where now, if you have that option and you don't provide that option for people, people are going to go for the option that they're more comfortable with, which means that instead of having us here uh, watching the games and watching the track beat, we're not here. We're at an establishment watching the games. And to add to that, um, technology has made it so much easier to stay at home to watch games on TV, you know, build a man cave or the woman cave to watch your favorite sport, your favorite team, have them folks come over, your friends come over, watch the games at home. But, and that has had a some effect on attendance at football games, NFL and college. But they, to their credit, the NFL and SEC has, be, has begun to adjust and add some of those home atmospheres to their uh, games, uh, facilities, games. stadiums. Yep. NBA is doing that. College needs to, need to do that. Have to. They have to or they're going to just continue to lose That's right. You know, a market share and size and attendance at in-home, inside attendance games. So it's, if, if it's impacting the NFL and SEC football, you have to know basketball people. You have to know that it's also impacting basketball, college basketball, NBA basketball, and if it's impacting men's college basketball, you damn sure it has to know it's impacting women's college basketball, which cannot afford to take an, another hit in attendance because it's small enough as it is. Right. You're right. When your top 50 attendance, the 50th, 50th ranked team in attendance is around 2,000 or 2,500 home attendance, ranked 50th. That's a problem. Yeah. Because you have 300-plus teams playing Division I women's college basketball. And yeah. you're bragging on attendance numbers average, but you look at you further, you look closely at the numbers and see if the 50th rank is 2,500, what is the 300-ranked team averaging? And I'm trust me, U of H and Rice, home attendance, Numbers are not anything to brag about. No. Haven't been for years. Even when U of A was kicking behind. It seemed, it seemed like a long time ago now. <laughs> the attendance wasn't that great. Yeah. You had All-American here. And two All-Conference players with Chandy and Sancho combined to kick butt. And attendance the, and, and, and attendance struggling to be 4,000. And Nicole Oliver. Very, very true. You know, that makes that, you had four players that was capable on any given night. You had to you had to guard or, or be guarded by. But they still did not have good attendance. No. 
And I that's and, and, and you and, made, and, did, and God bless his soul. Coach Joe was out, and it wasn't every hour, but that every was the day. coach. He did that. He, the administration couldn't. Oh did, no! Didn't do, oh no! Didn't do anything that was no doc. Now I will tell you that much. That that was as poor of a support for a program that was winning mm. and a team that actually made it to the promised land uh, at least once. Let's. I want to keep going because, as an official, I got to get your take on this. <laughs> Dwight and the stickum. Dude, I saw that. <laughs> I saw that. You know who I thought about? My classmate. Lester Hayes. And, and my question was, why? Why would you need that? In that in, in, the, in the game of basketball, why would you need sticker? To hold, I guess, to make the ball feel tacky so you can catch it better. But the really? thing is, the thing is, he said he's used he's no big deal because he's used it for the last five years. Yeah, that's that's what Dwight said. It's not a, he said folks are tripping. He's done it for the last five years, so what's the big deal? So basically, I, do, I do it every game. It's not a big deal. I ain't tripping. He told the Chronicle, told the Jonathan Fagan, the Chronicle. I don't know why people are making a big deal out of it. I do it every game. It's not a big deal. Yeah, I ain't tripping. Illegal? Uh, they, 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 the league said uh, uh, the comments that, that's been put out so far, I hadn't had time to check it, uh, is that it's an illegal use uh, 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 in the league. But there's no fine or no, uh, or no foul or uh, uh, Against oh, it, that's so nice. basically, when it's when it's, discretion, it's it's, it's it's basically up to because now you got to. Yeah, it's not punishable, so do yeah, what you it's, do. It's, yeah. You just you just said okay, got to take it out. You know, just got to it's got to go to the locker room, or out the building, or whatever. So here's a here's a tweet from former well, my NBA question. I, I still go back to the question. Like, I'm like Doc now. Why? 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 But and, and Why? I, I'll get to that real quick. Uh, former NBA referee Ronnie Nunn said nothing in the NBA rule case manual regarding Stickham. See, I would agree with the ref under the elastic clause. Unofficially, it's not permitted. So that's really all it is. <laughs> so, so now you're stuck out there in, in, in Never Never Land. Dwight isn't the only person to use it. I just wonder what happened. And I, cause I put it on Facebook. Because you know you somebody know, else has. Oh, no question. But d- during Rocket Home Games, I swear I've seen them use it before. And I really didn't think anything of it. Did Dustin want to pay I, attention? I just wonder, did he use more of it last night? Because Paul Millsap for the Hawks <laughs> noticed the difference. <laughs> and as soon as he got the ball back while he's shooting free throws, like, there's something wrong with this ball. And maybe the, so I wonder, did Dwight use, did he spray too much on it? Or, I mean, yeah. what, what, if Dwight has used every game, there's something, something changed in this last situation. night for it to be noticeable. You know, and their ref, and this is kind of interesting. Let me read this part here. Um, lead official Monty McCutcheon took the ball away from Paul Millsap and went to each bench to issue a warning saying, Stickum is illegal in the NBA. After first going to the Hawks bench, he made his way toward the Rockets bench. Rockets coach, interim coach, J.B. Bickerstaff slid in front of the can, still at the scorer's table. McCutcheon noted he knew what Bickerstaff was hiding. From video review of the incident, it was Bickerstaff who took the can in question and another can of court grip, a substance some players use on their shoes, back to the Rockets bench. According to a person familiar with the situation, the Rockets failed to produce the spray can when asked by a league official. Now, everybody uses sport grip, either the the, uh, the pad Mm -hmm. or the spray. 
Most people use it in pad. That's why everybody goes to their. And you see the player step on that before the game and right in yeah. half court. Uh, so I go back to my original question. If you needed grip, why not put your hands on the sport grip? That's what that's there for. That's for everybody to go and everybody can see. Am I am I wrong? That's it. That's in plain sight, Doc. That's yeah. in plain sight now. No, you. It, it, I mean, it's obviously he's been using it. He said it. He told what you. Now? He's using it so I he didn't do it because he's been using it for years, so he just used it. And so I think it goes back to your premise of the question. How many what other guys have been so, what? No, not only that, but what was so different and unique about this time as compared to all these other times? Right. When that's nobody what, that's, that's my anything. biggest thing is did he use too much of it? Was it too much in the can? Or something, did something leak? What changed last night to cause it to be such a big issue? I know you have to, sh- I know you have, when it's in the can form, you have to shake it up in order to, to get it to spray because it's like a gum. And if you don't, but, it's just, it's just, it's just going to come out just like. This didn't happen at the beginning of the game. This happened with 348 left in the first quarter. So did Dwight, was there a timeout before they resumed action and he went over back to the table and sprayed some more on, on his hands? What happened? No, uh-uh. No, we good. So, but let's... <laughs> we good. So we can, I mean, there's so much to talk about. Let's wrap it up. How can folks find it on the internet? Okay, you can find me on the internet uh, all over the platform, SoundCloud, YouTube. Who are you, man? Uh, I'm getting there, but I'm letting you know where, you, uh, you know, where I'm at. You know, uh, I am Triple World Wildcat. You can find me on all across the uh, internet at uh, uh, on Facebook, Twitter, TweetDeck, J L Woodley One, Jerry L Woodley Jr., SoundCloud, YouTube, and Blogspot Blogger as AKSV VCSR. The College Sports Report. Doc? Yes, I'm Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, known as the Sports Professor, a.k.a. the Data Doctor. You can catch me on the social media platforms at Dr. Kenyatta Cavill, D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. Again, that's D-R-K-E-N-Y-A-T-T-A-C-A-V-I-L. That's on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You can also catch a show that we do, Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBCU Sports Lab. You can catch that on SoundCloud as a podcast of a show that we do every Tuesday on KKBQ 92.9 HD2 uh, in the KCOH studios right here in Houston. We do that every Tuesday from 6 to 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. If you can't catch it live, again, you can catch the podcast. Dr. Cavill's Inside the HBC Sports Lab. This week, we had an intriguing podcast that a couple of people talked about, thought was a great podcast. We brought in legendary coach Van Petaway of Alabama A&M, the Bulldogs over there in Alabama, SWAC team. But they were previously a member of the SIAC at the Division II level. He had uh, made several runs to NCAA Division II championships, making it to the Elite Eight, which is similar, similar to the Final Four, or at least is. It's measured as the same at the Division One level in terms of folks that are really recognized for their excellence. He was an integral part that pushed for, as he votes on the College Insider, which in a lot of ways is a mid-major top 25 poll, and he's one of the voters there. And he, uh, with his expertise on HBCUs, created a platform that allowed for HBCUs to have more representation this year uh, for tournament 
participation probably ever since the 70s, late, 80s at the latest, in regards to having five teams that participated in the tournament, which was tremendous and kudos for him doing that. If you want to talk, if you want to hear some of the interviews, uh, I suggest that you go check out Dr. Kavis Inside the HBC Sports Lab. It is number 81. Thank you, Doc. I am KG of the Houston Round Ball Review. Houston Round Bar Review on Instagram, Houston Round Bar Review on YouTube. You can check out our uh, KG Fifth Ward Wildcat and Doc Facebook page. We are the podcasts are available on SoundCloud as well as iTunes as and also Pod Directory. My Twitter account, Twitter handle, whatever they call it now, is the HR Review. Once again, that's T H E H R Review. I'm gonna close it out with. That's the acknowledgement of 50 years ago, March 19th, 1966. Big Daddy! When history was made in Texas Western and defeated Kentucky 72-65 when Big Bear coach uh, Don Haskins went with his seven African-American players, starting five, to go against Adolph all-white Kentucky team. And they went ahead and made history and let folks know that uh, African-American players could think for themselves on the floor and were not just athletes or thugs or criminals, but also intellectual and could play the game of basketball and win at the highest level. So kudos for that historic event that helped open the doors and the eyes of some parts of America. Not only the shock. Sadly, some of those eyes and doors are still closed 50 (coughs) years later. But the three of us will continue to speak and share our thoughts and insight and try to open those eyes as we wrap it up here on the podcast. I'm going to wrap it up as I always do. In conclusion, be true, be cool, and do more.